With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're back. Nuggets numbers with Brandon Anderson. Uh, Going to have a good time. Had some great draft discussion. This is part two of our draft of our of our long discussion with uh, about some of the things that have been going on lately. And now I just want to get Brandon's general thoughts on Denver as a whole. Uh, we've talked about the Lakers. We've talked about potential things that they need in the draft. Um, let's say they don't get a draft pick. Let's say they kind of bring back the same team that they did this past year. They bring back Paul Millsap on a, let's say they restructure his deal for two to three years at a lower annual price. Uh, is that team a Western Conference contender, contender next year, Do you, in your opinion? You know, I think, I think it's relative. You know, we... We don't know necessarily what the Western Conference, the top of it, is going to look like. Uh, Golden State has a lot of question marks, and for now, I think we have to assume that they're not a real contender until we can see what that looks like, what they can bring in. Um, I think Houston is obviously a name that's in the mix, but we continue to see rumors about them wanting to to trade away Chris Paul or Capella or anyone that's not named James Harden. Um, to me, that's crazy. I would totally yeah. just run it back if I were Houston. We've got this window now without the Warriors for a year, and I feel like Houston has had as close of a chance as anyone the last couple of years. Um, so they could or could, you know, might not be in the mix. Um, I think the Clippers, depending on who they sign, they could be a contender. Um, there's a lot of question marks right now, so we'll kind of see what happens with some of the, the big free agent decisions. I think given what we know right now, I think that Denver has to believe that they're in a pretty good position to be a West contender. Um, you know, we don't need to get into the Lakers again, but we'll see how they kind of build the rest of their roster out. And we talked in part one about, you know, what that matchup might look like. But I think other than that potential team, I think that the Nuggets should like their chances right now. You know, they were effectively the best or second best team in the West for most of this season. And uh, there was a lot of question marks about what would that look like in the playoffs. And I think we saw a pretty good proof of concept there. Um, and it's a team that is just going to keep getting better. Everyone on the team should be at an age where they're still getting better. Uh, other than Millsap, who kind of has been the same player for like a decade. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know that, his game is going to really deteriorate too much more. He's, he's lost a bit of athleticism that you know takes some of his defensive versatility away, I think, but he's still a good player for what he is. Jokic should keep getting better. Murray, I think, took some real steps forward in the playoffs, and I think he's the guy that I would be excited to see 
you know, okay, how do we carry that momentum now into the next season? Um, he, he's the X factor, I think, on this team of, of maybe not the X factor, but I think that he's, he's going to determine what this iteration of the Nuggets, what the ceiling really is. If we get the Murray from early in the first round, if we get the Murray from the regular season where there were times, you know, as well as anyone, like some nights he's an all-star and the scoring is happening and he's, everything is rolling. And then there are frustrating times and the defense is not great yet. And the shot not always falling or even being taken. Um, I feel like he's the guy that if he can make the step toward a Kemba level type point guard, um, then I think that that really raises the ceiling of where this team can go. If he doesn't, then I don't know that there is a second star on the roster. Um, you know, Gary Harris, I think we kind of know for the most part what he's going to be. Uh, he's really good. There's nothing against <laughs> that. I just don't know what, what sure. more is going to come out of that. Um, you know, and Michael Porter, I guess, is more the X factor. He could add a different dimension if, you know, he was like the number one recruit a couple of years ago. So if it turns out that he's healthy and ready to go and add something new, you know, he could be the the stretch for that you guys have tried 700 other players for over the years. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's actually an accurate number. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about Jamal Murray real quick. I, I think that yeah. that's a that's a big starting point. I think we know what Jokic is. I think I think he proved that he's a first option on a championship team. Uh, very well could be. Uh, there are definitely some questions about the the competition level, but. I mean, the Spurs are the Spurs, and and just because they didn't have their normal Spursian Tim Duncan level defense doesn't make them a bad team. Um, so he proved himself pretty well in that situation. And then when the when the Blazers threw a lot of players at him, he he proved himself in that situation. So uh, it's again, it's it'll be a little bit different. But Murray is the guy that I think really swings it, like you said. Um, I don't think it's going to take a lot for him to be a Kemba Walker level player. I think that one of the reasons that he's not already kind of in that discussion is because he has to play off of Jokic. He he has to be a second option. And a guy like Kemba Walker was immediately the first option on his team. And Damian Lillard kind of immediately, even though he had LaMarcus Aldridge on his team, he kind of immediately stepped right into that role and, and they immediately trusted him as the leader. So there and Steph Curry, same thing. Like he, he had Monte Ellis, but they immediately traded Monte Ellis. So there are, there are blocks in what he has been able to do. And he has to, like a lot of those guys got to work out the kinks on a bad team. He has to rise to the occasion and be a competent level decision maker at 21 years old when he spent a lot of his time off ball both in his rookie season and at in his season at Kentucky a lot of this is new to him and i think that he's handled it really well the next step of course is to, is to find that next gear is to find that next level of shot making and i really do think that he found something in the playoffs there's there's definitely something to be said about what Derek White was doing to him in the first couple of games of that series but Something clicked after Derek White has his big performance uh, in Game Three, and and since that point, Jamal Murray was just wonderful. He uh he had a couple of games where he wasn't shooting the ball particularly well, but 
the frame of mind was different. He wasn't being passive. He was doing his best to be the second scorer behind Nikola Jokic. And that was what he needed to be. And I think that that's a a good role for him. And as he continues to get comfortable with that, uh, the Nuggets really moved away from kind of the equal opportunity offense. I think that to some degree in the regular season, they should move back towards an equal opportunity offense. But when the going gets tough, they know that they have the Jamal Murray pick and roll uh, with with Nikola Jokic in that two-man game where even Murray can be setting the screen. And then in the playoffs, when the when the scoring gets tight and and Gary Harris isn't able to com- to convert as many efficient looks as a primary ball handler, uh, you have Murray who's able to then put up twenty points per game. So there are definitely concerns, as you mentioned. The defense is a problem. I think that he's probably the worst defender on Denver's starting unit, bar none, and I th- he may be the worst defender in the rotation. So. That's concerning, and and in the playoffs, opposing teams will hack at that weakness until it breaks open, and it kind of broke open because the Nuggets weren't able to defend Rodney Hood. So when you have Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, if he can't defend those guys, then he's going to have to be able to defend bigger players, and so that's the next step for him is to find some defense, but if he does, you think that he could be a second star on a championship team? You know, I think he'd be a second star and a contender, at least. Uh, I don't know. Second star in a championship team is is loftier, I think, than we sometimes uh, mean it to, to be. Yeah. If we think back through the last, you know, I, I guess we did just watch a Raptors team where, I don't know, it was a second star Lowry or Gasol or Siakam. Um, you know, on the right team, I think second star is a little different. But what we normally think of is, you know, we're, we're used to the second star being Durant or, or Dwayne Wade or something, which is kind of ridiculous. He, right. He's clearly not that player, and I know that you don't think that he is either. Correct. Um, but I, I do think that as good as Jokic is and probably still going to keep getting a little bit better, I think that he can be that second star. And uh, like, like you said, and we've talked about this off the podcast before, of, of just the value that Murray brings in chemistry with Jokic and how much better the team is when the two of them play together on the court and uh, the, you know the numbers and the metrics that go way up when they're when they're playing together um, and his ability to play off ball and his ability to play off of Jokic and uh, and uh, and Harris is great at that too it's it's really fun seeing the two man game with with those two and I think that Murray's two-man game really started to come around with him, especially in the playoffs as well. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, I don't know that I see Murray reaching like a Damian Lillard type status, which I think is fine. I think Lillard is like the seventh or eighth best player in the league right now, and uh, somewhere in there, I don't know, that's off the top of my head, but it's so it's around the same, somewhere yeah. in or near the top ten, I think. Yeah. Uh, and. I don't think that you need, you know, Jokic and Lillard would be great together, but not every team can afford to have those two stars. And I, I don't think that Murray's going to reach that height ever necessarily, but I think that he can be kind of the next tier down of what those players are. If, if the shot continues to improve and, uh, the, the game is all there. Like he is, he is a smart player. He plays uh, with a lot of passion and even, uh, my, my first 
viewing of Murray was actually randomly when he was like 17 or 18 years old. For some stupid reason, I was like watching the Pan Am games one day on my television. And there was this weird American team that had like Anthony Randolph and Mm -hmm. some kind of weird cast offs and some other college players that people would know. And they lost to Canada. And the best player on the court was this like spunky point guard, youngest kid there named Jamal Murray. Before he went to Kentucky, before I'd even really heard of him, and he just was on a different level. And he was the leader of the team at that young age, and he just was not afraid. And he was hitting shots, and he was taking it to the American team. And I was like, yo, who is this guy? And I found out that he's going to Kentucky, and I've been a fan ever since. And I I think that that's in there. And we saw it a couple times in the playoffs when he really got rolling and. I think it's coming. And, yeah, I I was looking to it in my notes. I I noticed, so he's going into his last year of his contract. And a question I have for you is, so this summer, that means that he's up for a rookie extension. And it doesn't make any sense to offer a max extension right now. There's really nothing to gain from that if you're the Nuggets. Um, The player we're talking about, if he is that good, that's a max player. And we don't know if he's that yet. Do you make an extension offer to Murray this summer, and what sort of offer are you making him if you do? Well, whatever offer you make him, I don't think you can insult him with an offer. I think it has to be something probably in the $100 million range where it, even if it's over four years, it's it's a it's a deal that makes a lot of sense, and it's for a guy that you believe can be a top 20 player in the NBA. Um, similar to an offer that the that the Bucks gave to Giannis, that the Utah Jazz gave to Rudy Gobert, I think four years, a hundred million is a pretty that's a pretty solid extension offer, and it's not quite max level. You don't get the fifth year with that, but uh, but there are worse things to do. And and Gary Harris was paid four years. It's it's really seventy four million, but four years eighty four million if he hits certain incentives. Uh, if you have, if you have Gary Harris as a four year, about 20 million per year, I think that Jamal Murray four year, 25 or yeah, 25 million per year seems like a pretty solid, uh, raise for a player of that caliber. Yeah, I think so. I I think just thinking about that, like I, I think back to, you know, point guards tend to, we've seen a lot of point guards really make their leap to stardom late in their careers, like age 25, 26, um, you know, Kemba and, and Dame and some, a lot of the point guards uh, have really taken a while to really make that jump. And it's easy to forget that Murray is still so young. 22 and years like, old. He's younger than like, me. Yeah. He's years away from reaching that spot where these guys should be taking their leap still. Um, and so, it's, you know, it's, we, he's been in the NBA a while, and it's easy to be like, ah, oh, yeah, we kind of know what Jamal Murray is. We don't. Like, he still has so much time to get better. And I think back to, like, the Steph Curry contract, like the four-year, $44 million one, and that's not fair because, you know, the numbers have changed, and there were a lot of ankle injuries in there too. But I look at that contract. I look at, like, the original Mike Conley extension, not the massive one he's on now, but the one before that, the Kemba right. Walker extension. These are deals where 
you got a point guard who was like, good, who was fine. You know, they're doing good things, but nobody thought they were going to be Steph or Conley or Kemba the way that we know them now. They are extensions that when they got signed, people were like, oh, I see. You really wanted to keep that guy around, huh? Yeah, that's fair. As the as time went on and they made their leap, suddenly those became these really valuable contracts. And I feel like there could be an opportunity with Murray um, where if you can, you know, at, at four for 25, I think you end up not really saving a lot of what's under the max anyway. Maybe you're saving a few million a year. If you could, and maybe he says no, he probably says no, but if you could get him at like four for 80 or 90, and suddenly now you're you're potentially getting someone that if he progresses to a max player, um, suddenly he's providing you like five to ten million dollars of surplus value a year, and now you have you know better than max player Jokic and possible max player Murray on a below max deal, and suddenly both of those guys are giving you like an extra five or ten million in value. Now you have something really there with the team building concept where you're getting all this extra, like now that all the money you just saved on those two pays Gary Harris's contract and everything else from there is gravy. So I know it's, it's interesting to just to see if they could get Murray. And I think if I'm Murray's agent and looking at what he's done, I maybe just don't take any offer, but the max, like, I feel like I'm probably going to earn it by next summer anyway, so maybe I wait on it. But, you know, 80, 90, 100 million dollars is nothing to sneeze at. That's that's set for life money. I so, hear it. Yeah, it's definitely in in that range. I think unfortunately, I think the the market has already really been set with what Denver offered Gary Harris. I think that even yeah, though right. like a lot of people are very high on Harris, he's like a lot of people consider him a top fifty player, maybe even top forty, depending on who you ask. I think that's pretty aggressive. And if Murray thinks that he's in that category or even better than Gary Harris, which I think he probably thinks, then I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, then why wouldn't you wait? Why wouldn't you yeah. bet on yourself and try and go get that max offer from, even if it's not from the Nuggets and, and you want the Nuggets to match that offer, then then go get the money that you think that you're worth uh, because somebody will yeah. pay him that. The 2020 yeah. free agent class is awful. It is not good. Uh, the 2016 Bad. free agent, or the 2016 draft class was not great. Uh, ben Simmons will probably be locked up on a max contract this summer. Brandon Ingram, I, I have no idea, but but like Jalen Brown, do you think he's a max contract level player? I, I don't know. I think that Jamal Murray and, and Pascal Siakam are the only guys that are young and restricted free agents that I think are even coming close to deserving that money. So it'll uh it'll be interesting to see. I'm I don't think that he'll get a max, but I think he could be a second option on a championship team. All right, good stuff on Jamal Murray. Uh, wanted to get your opinion on Paul Millsap, too. Denver has a team option on him this year, and he's been really important for the team over the past couple of seasons. He leads them in net rating. He's been very, a great fit with Nikola Jokic. Uh, how valuable do you think he is to the team going forward, given that he's the age that he is, and do you think that Denver should consider moving on from him? Yeah, I think he's really valuable. I think he's a guy that Denver really should should look and probably will look to keep around. 
Um, I, I think as you look at the Denver roster, obviously there's there's Jokic and Murray and Harris are the three pieces that you're starting with, and everything else needs to kind of fit around that. And kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the draft a little bit here. Is like, well, what does that team need? Well, right now there's a ton of offense already with those three. There's a lot of shooting. There's a lot of guys who can handle the ball and who want to handle the ball and need it. We don't really need that from the forwards on this team. What we need is defense. We need rebounding. We need toughness. We need leadership. Uh, we need IQ and, and good decisions. And all of those things are literally, that's what Millsap is. I right. think he's the perfect player on this team. Um, as a Timberwolves fan, that's the position that we've been waiting. Now, Millsap was a guy that was rumored for our team, and I think he would fit so well next to Towns for all the exact same reasons. Um, he, he's a lower usage guy at this t- stage of his career, and uh, I, I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to decline a whole lot more um, as long as the injuries don't return like they did you know, the first Denver season. Um, but I think Denver's... You know, probably going to look to to get him to opt out of his option and and maybe sign for two three years at a lower number and, and a a bigger number overall. I think that's the right move. I think you know he's the veteran guy on this team and and you you need that sort of player. And I think he just does a lot of the things that the rest of the the star players on the team don't do or don't do as well at least. And I think he's just a really good balance in that way. So, from the sound of it, it doesn't sound like you would give him up in favor of chasing a key free agent like a uh, like a Chris Middleton or a Tobias Harris or guys kind of in that tier that aren't necessarily the A tier but the B tier free agents in this class. Yeah, I definitely would not want to make that swap. Uh, you're going to pay a lot more for either one of those two guys, and I honestly just think Millsap probably helps the team more. You know, I was not a big fan of what Philly did going to get Tobias Harris when they did uh, because suddenly they're adding this really good player. I like Tobias Harris, but they're adding him as like a fourth option on offense, and it's a little different. They need the, the spacing a lot more than Denver does, and so Tobias adds some extraneous value there, but I feel like they they kind of lose his value a little bit the way that they they used him because there's just not enough shots for him to really be valuable and i feel like with middleton and and tobias what you're adding is like okay so they're slightly better shooters and they can maybe do slightly more with the ball in their hands but you don't really need that in denver you've got enough of that creation and enough shooting and scoring they're going to be way worse at at defending and at rebounding and at you know all, all those extra unsexy things that need to happen on a team to be good and you know Denver made a huge leap this year obviously and I think that clearly a big part of the reason for that was there were a lot of reasons you know a lot of players took a step forward Jokic took a big step Murray got better you know Morris and Beasley stepped up but I think it's it would be a mistake to not rule out that, hey, Millsap stunk for the first season because he was hurt all year, and now he played all year, and suddenly the defense got much better. Hmm, I wonder why. It's because <laughs> Millsap was there. Yeah, there's there's a slight correlation there for sure. He's been um he's been awesome and when he and Gary Harris are in the lineup, 
Uh, the Nuggets really are a different kind of defensive team. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of Jokic to be kind of the, the main rim protector. Uh, he can be, he can blitz up on the screens when, when he needs to. He can get his hands in passing lanes. But when you have a backline defender like, uh, like Paul Millsap and you've got a guy digging at the ball and Gary Harris, who's, who's a pretty good on ball defender himself. It makes it a lot easier, and you can kind of see the uh, you can see the playoff contender uh, forming a little bit with that kind of player type. Uh, it's one of the reasons why you and I both like Grant Williams and and Paul and uh, Brandon Clark a lot. So, right, makes exactly. a lot of sense. I, I think to me that the answer might change if there was the right small forward out there. To me, that's the, the what's missing on this Denver roster if I was going to try to upgrade uh, something. And I think that's not exactly like a shocking, you know, like that I'm not breaking news to anyone here. No, definitely um, not. When you, when you have Murray, Harris, Millsap, and Jokic, it's like, okay, which position is missing? So that that's not surprising. But like, if, if losing Millsap means that Kawhi is going to come, well, great, sign him up, you know? Like, sure. Bring the improved defense and the shot making. Sure, of course we'll take that. Um, but I, I think... To me, the the move I would be trying to make with Denver, other than you know maybe looking for something in the draft, is just trying to find who else can I bring in with some size to play the wing. I, I like the guards that they have a lot. I don't think I'd really be trying to move them. And uh, by that, I, I'm counting Will Barton as a small forward, not a guard. I'm not a huge Barton fan. He's great in fantasy basketball because he does a lot of stuff. But I don't know that his value is I don't know that it matches his contract on this team I feel like he would be the guy that I would be looking to to deal away um him or Plumlee I know you mentioned those names anyway Plumlee is really good I like him but when you have Jokic on the team there's just only so much value a second center can bring and I didn't really like their lineups with the two of them together that much right um and I, I feel like with so many big men, you can find someone to be 75% of Plumlee for a lot cheaper. And I wonder what could they could do if they could magically just make Barton and Plumlee's salaries disappear and then go into the free agent market and try to find someone to come in at, you know, like a, a combo forward or a true three. There unfortunately aren't a lot of those guys. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the guys that I would I would peg for that is somebody like Jimmy Butler or Chris Middleton. Yeah. Uh, if you could if you could magic away the salary for Barton and Plumley, and then renegotiate Millsap down a little bit, then you, you're you're on to something there. If you could start Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Jimmy Butler, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic, like that's a uh, Ooh, that's, that's a, a right that's a squad. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I I totally hear you. I think that the Nuggets front office would definitely be in favor of that. I don't know if they're going to be willing to pay the price for that or if those guys are willing to come to Denver. But if you've got a guy like Chris Middleton who wants to go win a championship, then that might be the best option for him to do it. So um, either way, I want to get your opinion because you talked about small forwards. What about Michael Porter Jr.? What's he uh, – what is what is he like to you, and what what do you think Nuggets fans should expect from him this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see Porter play summer league ball because we just haven't gotten to see him play a whole lot, and he, he's a guy 
as I did my draft prep last year, I mentioned during the draft talk we did, I, I mostly get a lot of my draft evaluation out of college. And that meant that I just didn't get to see a lot of Michael Porter last year. Sure. He was kind of like a Darius Garland or, or Kevin Porter where I was like, okay, I saw a couple games and now I'm watching highlight packages and I'm watching high school ball and McDonald's All-American game. It's like, you're not finding the right view of what's there. I think with Porter, I suspect that he's a guy that if I'd watched a lot of him in college, he might have been a guy that I was a little bit lower on than consensus, just in that he seems like a player, from what I know of him, he seems like a player that is more of a scorer and less of the other things sort of player. Right. And, you know, he's, he's very much a, oh, hey, we're down eight points in the fourth quarter. Let's take Millsap out and put in Porter at the four. We need more offense and scoring. Great. That's what that's what he's going to be. It's like he's, he seems like the opposite of Millsap in that way. Like I think that he is going to want his touches. I think he's going to want to get his shots up. And I, on a lot of teams, I would have kind of written him off in my mind as just not being a guy I'm excited about. On Denver, I'm excited to see what does Michael Porter look like as a role player. I don't think he's ever done that before. And if he, I think he's been this kind of high usage, high, you know, we, we talked about what I didn't like about R.J. Barrett as this kind of high usage scorer. And I feel like Porter's been kind of that, but as a bigger player. Right. But I'm curious as to how does that translate when you say, okay, we have all those guys, thank you very much. We have our scoring and our shooters, and they're going to be the ones handling the ball. But, hey, we would really love if you could you know, hit an open three when it comes to you, or that when you get a mismatch with a smaller guy on you, then we want you to attack that mismatch and, and take it to the basket. And, you know, could, could he have sort of the offensive impact that we saw someone like Pascal Siakam have in the finals? I think that would be great. That would be really valuable to this team. Um, and Porter is definitely more talented offensively than Siakam, um, at least uh, coming to the draft. It wasn't even you know close. And he, he can really make shots. He's tall, and he can get a shot off you know almost any time. And I, I'm really interested to see what he can bring you know, summer league, it'll be fun just to see him on the court, but he's going to be the star on that team. We already know what Michael Porter looks like that way. I think he'll look really good at summer league. Um, but I want to see him play in the Nuggets. I want to see him play, you know, 15 minutes off the bench. And what does that look like? And does that mean that maybe we can give Millsap a few extra games off during the year and, and let Porter play against you know some of the dregs of the league let him start those games and and pick up 30 35 minutes and let Millsap rest for a playoff run that that would be really valuable to have a player that could do stuff like that so I don't know if we can know too much more from there uh, but but I do think he brings you know a lot of potential and um, could really unlock a few things offensively I guess as I've talked about him, I haven't really said this, but I view him more as as a four than as a three. Right. I don't know that he's going to be a you know a great defender in that way. Um, and 
someone. Yeah, I think I want want him playing like the stretch four sort of role. But I think that his size and his athleticism gives him some versatility there. So I, I think there's a lot of options. He he could, especially next to Jokic, I think he could unlock some really interesting offensive lineups. Absolutely, and and some of the some of the intriguing factors in his game. Uh, the Nuggets are, are super excited to see him at Summer League. I think that they're the only people on planet Earth who have really seen him uh, and how he has recovered from his injuries and his back injury and those surgeries. And uh, nobody else really knows. It's, it's, it, it is a mystery. And yeah. it's, it's a mystery that a lot of NBA fans want answered right now. And we're, we're about to get at least some semblance of an answer. I remember in uh, 2017 uh, when Ben Simmons came off of his foot injury. Oh, yeah. I don't think he played in Summer League that year, did he? No, I don't think so. I think we waited. <laughs> so we had we had to wait to see what Ben Simmons was. And, and the hype that's been building around Michael Porter Jr., I think has been building around Ben Simmons, or it's it's similar to what it was building around Ben Simmons. I am not comparing them as players. I don't know if they are similar talents. They very well might be, but I think we may be in line to see a Jason Tatum type rookie season from Porter. It could. It's it's very very possible that he's unable to handle the stress of the NBA season with his back, but he has been in a situation where he's been rehabbing, the Nuggets gave him ample time to recover. Apparently, he's fully healthy. If they believe that he can handle that, then it would not surprise me if he's starting at small forward next year and is putting Denver in positions where they have a six foot eleven guy who's playing small forward and Paul Millsap takes the tougher defensive assignments and on the offensive side of the floor... You have you if you're if you're the opposing team, then you could either guard the six eleven guy who can shoot threes at forty percent, or you can guard Paul Millsap and his size, and and he'll back you down into the lane. So, it's I think he provides a lot of mismatch opportunities. Yeah. And if he put up a Jason Tatum level season, it would not surprise me at all. And if he were to do that, then. I think the narrative around him and around the Nuggets really changes for the future going forward. Um, now, well, is- I think too that uh, just a, a couple of things so that for, for one thing is I think Porter is the reason that you don't want to try to go out and sign Tobias Harris because right. I think I think Porter you know like his like 75th percentile outcome is Tobias Harris like that's a very similar style of player as this kind of combo stretch forward shooter scorer sort of guy and guess what Porter is a lot cheaper. He makes like $3 million instead of like 30 <laughs> like Tobias will yeah, make. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, that's that's the value of getting a player like that. And the only thing I would say about the, the Tatum impact is, uh, I, I don't know if I can quite get there on the impact, but for me, it's not even really about Porter. Denver is too good. Like, I, I don't think that there are the minutes to give over to, to Porter. You know, maybe if he can really play the three, that's where the minutes could be available. But Denver has so many guys, like quality players in the rotation, that I don't know if there's enough room for, and there's not enough touches and shots for him to have quite the Tatum impact. Um, so, but but really, that's less of a detriment to Porter and, and more of a compliment to Denver's rotation, I think. 
Uh, but I was going to add one other value that I think Michael Porter would have to dip back a little bit into draft talk just for a second. One of my absolute favorite players in the draft is Michael's younger brother, Jonte Porter. Yep. And Jonte is, to me, the closest that we're going to find for a while to what Nikola Jokic looks like. He's not that, because nobody is. Oh, yeah. But he, no, I hear you. He's, he is such a good passer, and he's so smart, and he, he did all those things as an 18-year-old at Missouri before sitting out this whole season injured, and then poor kid tearing his ACL again like a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was unbelievable, and, unbelievably you know, like, sad. I'm seeing now on draft Twitter, people are thinking that this guy might go completely undrafted, and I wrote a whole article last week about you know, the value of big men or a lack thereof in the NBA and how careful you should be to draft one and uh, to put a high pick on. If John T. Porter was healthy, he would be at least number five on my draft board. Wow. And I think he might go undrafted. And uh, if you've got his brother on a team and then his brother plays next to this, like, incredible generational passing big man who just happens to be the exact sort of player that John T. should hope to be someday... That sounds like a great recruiting tool. Absolutely. You know, I would, that I, uh, would be a, a great guy to bring in and, and be able to groom for those backup Jokic minutes at the very least. I'd be excited to bring him in for sure. Uh, he's a guy that I wrote about. And, and if you're looking for the type of analog to put behind Jokic and, and develop a backup center that can fill a similar role where the offense doesn't like entirely drop off, then Jonte Porter's as, as good of a chance as any to – to really exactly. do that. And you could have Mason Plumley on on the excuse me. You'd have Mason Plumley on the roster for one more year of his expiring contract and then turn it over to Jonte and see if he can Perfect. see if he can make it work. And I think that would be another guy that you you buy into the fir- into the second round and you make sure that you get him. And uh if you're willing to spend those two million dollars, then I think it improves not just Jonte Porter, but Michael Porter. Absolutely. And you keep both of them happy and both of them around. What do you think about, and and I think this is probably the last thing I'll get to, what do you think about Malik Beasley and Monte Morris and whether they could be starter-level impact players in the future? Yeah, I really like them. I I was really surprised by both this year. Uh, Beasley is a guy that I've seen a lot in in the summer league in the past is really where mostly I'd seen him before this year, if I'm being honest. And he's like the exact sort of guy that always lights it up in the summer league because that's like the place where the 20-point the shooting guards just light it up because no one's really playing a lot of defense and you get to fire away and make yourself look good. And that's kind of Malik Beasley's game. And <laughs> he was so much better this year than I really ever expected from that. I kind of had just... You know, mostly written him off in my mind. And suddenly this year, like, you tune in on any given night, he might be, like, the best two in the lineup. Like, he is outplaying Gary Harris many days. And maybe, you know, I don't know part of that is because Harris wasn't fully healthy. Um, but I, I think that's Oh, no, I think it's I think it's real. I think uh, with what they're, the stat that's out there right now is that the, the number of uh, – during the games that Malik Beasley started, he averaged a 70% true shooting rate. Dang. <laughs> yeah, and, and it felt it, too. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, as the playoffs, whenever, whenever there would be a big moment for the Nuggets, or whenever it was game seven, and my buddies and I would do, like, our little contest and say, okay, who's the X Factor? Who's the guy that's going to make plays? 
Malik Beasley, that's my pick. That dude's going to make plays because he's got that, he's, he's that irrational confidence guy that's going to just show up in a big moment. And, and he did too. They rolled him out there and he's just going to come on and start shooting and, and make plays. And he's not afraid of the moment. And I think that he adds a real dimension to the team. I really like too the idea of him and Murray and Harris all playing together at times, just yeah. for stretches of offensive upside. And and I don't know how you guard that team with Jokic out there too. Um, so I, I think as a starter, you know, I'm less excited. I think that he could continue developing and get there. Um, you know, you don't need him to start right now, anyways. But I think if I'm him, if I'm his agent, that's what I'm hoping for. That's the sort of contract I'm going to want to look for a year from now. Um, I don't know if he's that. I think that the gap from a Gary Harris level, definite great starting shooting guard to all the rest of the guys, I think there's a lot of guys in the all the rest of the guys group and probably Beasley is one of them. For sure. Uh, he's... He doesn't add the defensive value that Harris does, and and without that, it's just hard to be a really great shooting guard. Um, so I think that's all right. I don't think that takes away much from Beasley, but I think that's what he is. Monty Morris, I really like. I, I think that he's probably a really, really good backup point guard. Um, I could see him maybe on the right team being the, the starting point guard where the right team is that they have, like, an elite wing and an elite big man. And, you know, he's in like the Malcolm Brogdon role now, maybe where he's not hitting a lot of shots. He's just supposed to be playing defense and shooting. But I really don't think that's utilizing Morris's strengths anyway. Like, I think every team in the NBA now looks and sees Monty Morris. They see Fred Van Vliet. They see these kind of like, you know, undersized veteran 23-year-old point guards that people sleep on in the draft because they don't have upside and then the smart teams are picking up guys like that and letting them come in and they're ready to contribute and they're running the offense from the bench well not from the bench off of the bench um and i I don't know that i see morris as a guy that's going to have a lot more upside than that i think the playoffs at times showed the you know where his value cut off a little bit um I think that he was good for stretches, but then, you know, Jamal Murray had that extra gear. He had another level that he could take his game to. I don't know that Morris really can get there. Um, I think he's going to be, a, you know, he's signed for two more years for dirt cheap, and that's a super valuable player to have around. I certainly would not look to be moving on from him, um, but I don't know that he's necessarily the sort of piece that you build around either. I think, um, you know, some year in the finals, a few years from now, maybe he's hitting four threes in the fourth quarter of a, of a finals clinching game like Fred Van Vliet. Like, he could be that guy, I think. He can make some shots and he can show up in a moment. But, like, nobody watched that game and was like, oh, man, Fred Van Vliet should be a starting point guard and a top 15 guy now. Like, no, it's all right. That's not a diss to say that he's not that. He just is what he is. And I feel like to me, like Morris and Beasley to me are, are bench guards, but they're really good bench guards that really help my team out. Fair enough. Um, yeah, Monte probably probably just needs to strategically have a child right before the finals. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Maybe get a couple of teeth knocked out along the way too. <laughs> Monte Morris Jr. That's uh, 
It's got a good ring to it. All right. Well, the the one trade that I was going to throw at you, and you're you're a Minnesota Timberwolves fan, so you've got their best interests at heart. If I offered you, and and this isn't something that the Nuggets are necessarily considering. This is this is just me, uh, kind of riffing on on things that I I see from my perspective. Uh, Malik Beasley and a 2021 lottery protected first for the 11th overall pick. What would you say to that? So I feel like I'm not super interested in that because I don't know. I don't know if I see a big role for Beasley on the team. We have this terrible, terribly overplayed contract eating a lot of our (laughs) wing minutes that I just can't do anything with right now. In a world where that contract suddenly disappeared, and now I get to balance Beasley with a Kogi and kind of have an offense-defense sort of combo, I like that. I can see the value there. Um, I don't know. I, I am cautiously very optimistic as... Uh, I'm not very optimistic. Minnesota fans are never very optimistic. <laughs> I'm cautiously a little optimistic about where this team is going with the new team president, with the new coaches we've brought in, it feels like we've joined the 21st century. <laughs> and, you know, all the rumors have Man. us taking a guy like Rui Hachimura, who I don't think is a very modern player. And I maybe overconfidently don't really think that makes much sense because I think that we have these modern guys running the team now. That makes me want to stay at number 11 because that makes me excited about the prospect that I think Brandon Clark will be there at number 11. And I think that he would be phenomenal in Minnesota and such a good fit and probably is the guy that you're trying to trade in for and take instead of us. That is exactly uh, so the guy. And I would letting prefer our division rivals take the guy that will complete the team. Seems like not optimal strategy. I would, I would, perhaps. Pref- <laughs> I would absolutely prefer Brandon Clark to be on the nuggets than the wolves. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm sure that you would. So I, I think it, it's not a great value trade to me because, you know, the lottery protected next year pick is, you know, the Nuggets are good. That's going to be like something, you know, worst case scenario on your, on your end is like that's the 20th pick or something. And it could be like 27, 28 or something. Like, eh, it's not that valuable very much. And Beasley is fine, but. I feel like 11 is probably shooting a little high with that sort of a deal. Um, I, I could see that deal maybe getting into somewhere in the back half of the first round. And maybe Clark still slides and is around there. And at that point, I'm crying that we've <laughs> taken, you know, Seku Dumboya or Rihachimura instead. And I'm just kind of waiting, hoping to see what's going to happen with them. Um, other... Williams, I think, would be there then, or Okiki will probably be there. I think there are other values where a Beasley and a first or that sort of package could, could get in, but I think 11 feels a little bit high for it. Fair enough. Brandon, you've been great. I've, I've been really excited to get you on and, and to talk about the draft with you. We've rambled on a little bit too much about everything else, but I'm, I'm really excited to, uh, to post this podcast and then give everybody what they deserve. So Monday morning and Tuesday are going to be great for Nuggets fans. So thank you for contributing to that. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's always fun to talk basketball and, uh, you know, your Nuggets stuff and it's, it's a fun team moving in the right direction. And uh, I'm excited to see where the team continues to head from here. 
Awesome. That was Brandon Anderson at Wheaton Brando on Twitter. Link will be in the description to his Twitter handle and some of his work at Medium. Uh, please go check him out. He's got some great information if you're, if you're really interested on the draft. And I'm sure that you'll have some stuff in the summer as well. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be doing, like I mentioned, the historical piece, looking at the, the top players by position and uh, just kind of, you know, some free agency stuff coming up and uh, just some other bigger picture NBA things going forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much for listening to Nuggets Numbers, and we'll see you guys next week. Next week.